They have forgotten God. Fornication and adultery. The sickness that was not visible like smallpox, but no less dangerous and contagious, the sickness of the mind. You see, Ralph was a homosexual. There are many reasons that people stay in abusive relationships. Most commonly are fear of what might happen if they leave, believing that the behavior is normal or somehow their fault. Fear of being outed, low self-esteem, religious reasons, and children. These happen to be all the reasons Sandra stayed married to Neil for nearly 18 years. These reasons are usually fortified and used by the abuser to maintain control over their partner and keep them in the relationship. Either physical, emotional, sexual, or financial abuse, and or reproductive coercion. Again, as she told us on the last episode, my mother checked all these boxes too. So on this episode, I wanted to hear the events that finally gave Sandra the strength to say enough is enough, to face the music, and to file for divorce. The Story of Sandra Marie, Episode 6, Now Begins the War. So, we were talking about how you started to fight back. Oh, yes. I I did start fighting back. It got to the point of where I was, over the years, getting tired, and I would argue, and we'd have horrible fights. And our fights were always in front of the children. I mean, what the heck are we doing? We were destroying our kids' little personalities, in my opinion. And uh, I think my children have suffered a lot because of the horrible fights we had. But I would hit him back. And, and I always thought of him as a little wimpy, you know, and I, and I thought of me as a pretty strong person. And the first, I remember the first time when he hit me and I hit him back and we just kept kind of exchanging hits and I'd hit him on his arm, hit, hit me on the arm. I'd hit him on his arm and then I'd hit him in the chest, hit, hit me in the chest. And that went on for about five minutes, and I decided I'm losing this battle. <laughs> but then I'm covered with bruises, and I looked at him later, and he didn't even have one bruise. And when he'd go into the rages, he was so strong. It was like there was no way I was going to beat this guy up unless I went and got a bat or something. And uh, I wasn't going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but I did start to fight back. And we... You you remember and have expressed to me some of the fights we had and how it, it affected you, and it mm-hmm. just tears my heart apart to yeah. know that. Yeah, and from the, from the perspective of the kids, you know, we would it was pretty common. It's weird. You would, you would think that we would want to shield ourselves from it, but what we would do, a lot of your fights took place in the basement, it seemed like, the unfinished part of the basement. Because our office was down Your there. Your office was down there, yeah. But what we would do is we would go in whatever room we were in, we'd kind of huddle up together, and one of us at least would go put our ear next to the air vent because the vents down in the basement were like um, conductors oh, no. for the sound. So we could hear all the little details of your fights. Um, and the saddest thing for me, I think, was how hard you tried to act like you were okay. But we could tell that you were dying inside. Exactly. And even though you tried to take the fights away from us as much as you could, you know, near the end, we were right in the middle of them. Yep. And they were just 
progressively becoming more frequent, more violent. Yeah, it was very traumatic. Uh, but, okay, so now uh, maybe you could talk about the most pinnacle stories that brought you to the point of finally saying, okay, enough is enough. Okay. Because he had free airfare, and he had a lot of it, he was very generous with it. He'd take my parents and uh, your grandparents and some of our friends to different trips, uh, free of charge, he, and we'd just all go stand by, and, and it was great. But, but anyway, we decided to go to Washington, D.C. together. But before we went, I think the thing that really irritated him was that he got mad at my mother because we were told by friends that we should contact our congressmen and our senators so we could get tickets to go to the White House. Well, we lived in Utah, and when we, I called, all of the tickets had already been passed out, so we couldn't get any. And in Idaho, there aren't that many people there, and so she got tickets to go to the White House. That's the first thing that upset him a little bit, is that she got it and we didn't. But we still get to go to the White House, you know, it's cool. I didn't even think anything of it, but I think this was irritating him. And then another thing her friends told her was to get on a shuttle bus. There's these buses you get on, they take you to a place, they drop you off at one memorial, you go see it, and when you're done, you come back, and in every 10 or 15 minutes, this bus comes by, picks you up, and takes you to another place. And you can buy all-day passes or two- or three-day passes. And you can see all the monuments and all the museums and everything this way and not have to walk around because it's a lot of walking. And my mother was having back problems then, so she didn't want to do a lot of walking. Well, he said, no, we are going to walk there, and it's not that far away, and we'll go get a cab if we have to. So the very first day we got there, we spent a lot of money on cabs, a lot of money on cabs. And uh, so he realized she was right, and so the next day, we got the shuttle. But all this was really getting upsetting, and I think he was mad at my mom, and so he, of course, he takes it out on me. And I thought it was interesting that he was brave enough to do so in front of my parents. This was starting to bother me more, too. He's slowly becoming more public in his abuse. But we were standing outside of the Library of Congress, and while I was standing in line, we were all standing in line, my mom and dad were like, somebody had cut in between us, so they were like two or three people away from us. But the whole time, he said, can you quote the Declaration of Independence? I said, no, I can't. I, I probably memorized it one time, but I've forgotten it. Well, you're not a real American if you can't quote that. Mm -hmm. And he just went on telling me, I'm not really patriotic, and I'm not an American, and on and on and on, and he was getting louder and louder. And my parents are looking at him, and, and everybody else in the room is looking at him, and the security guard comes over and says, are you okay? Oh, yeah, 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 we're fine. And so he says, let's take this outside. Oh, crap, okay. So I go outside, and he keeps belittling me on the steps. And then he gets angry, and he storms off. And my parents came out, and had to kind of explain, and they heard what he was saying. And Dad looked out over, and he could see him walking towards the Washington Monument. But then he'd turn around and hide and disappear, and he says, he's walking towards the Washington Monument, and then shortly after the Washington Monument is where we'd get on the subway to go to our hotel. And he said, well, we might as well just 
quit. It's almost close to the end of the day. We'll, we'll just go back to the hotel. And my dad was worried. He says, you know, he's going to beat us to the hotel. I don't know what he's going to do because he's really, really angry. And when we got back to the hotel, Neil wasn't there. And they were also worried that he would take all the airline tickets and everything and go back, get on the plane and leave us stranded in Washington, D.C. So we didn't know what we were expecting. And my parents were really upset. Well, Neil had had time to calm down. It had been hours by the time you get back to the hotel. And he wasn't there. But he, there was a restaurant across the street from our hotel, and he was in that restaurant watching. And he saw us walk in. So in a few minutes, the hotel room telephone rang. And he said, I'm across the way. I really want to talk to you. And I said, I don't dare be with you right now. And he said, we're in a restaurant. I won't do anything. I just need to talk to you. And so I told my parents, and he said, okay, but if, if he starts to do anything, you get a waiter, you get up, you go get help, and then get back over here. And so I went and talked to him, and he apologized, said he was upset, and that he'd behave himself, and that he knew he needed to apologize to my parents, but he wasn't sure how he was going to do that. And I said, I'm going to go back over there, and I'm going to ask him to come to dinner, and you can apologize to him. And I did. I went over, and they came, and he apologized, told him he was sorry for getting angry. And the next day was when we were supposed, that was our last day. The next day, we were going to fly back home. And there's three and three, so he arranged for my mom and dad and I to sit in one row, and he sat in a different row, quite a few back. And I was still devastated. And it, it kind of just put a shadow on the rest of the time we were together. And I told my dad, I was sitting by my dad, I said, Dad, he does this all the time. I really want to divorce him. And he said, I'll support you in that. But I didn't tell him he was beating me up. But uh, my parent, that was the first glimpse my parents saw. Because the one thing about abusers is they make you think it's your fault. And I didn't tell anybody. Until I actually divorced him, I didn't tell anybody that he was beating me. My mom came down to uh, help us with the kids while we were gone and, and all that, and they stayed over a few extra days uh, to help me because I was behind on my taxes. The, the taxes were put aside for a few days, so we were a few days behind on getting the taxes done. And it was on a Saturday, and I was out delivering taxes, and when I I delivered what I had to, and I picked up lunch. I actually remember I went to Taco Bell and brought home some tacos. And when I walked in the house, my mother was on her hands and knees scrubbing our car a spot out of our carpet. And I said, Mom, st stop doing that. You don't need to work so hard. You're, you're fine. It's fine. Don't do that. So I just wanted the house to be really clean when I left. And I said, well, thank you, but please get up. I, I brought lunch, and, and so... She got up and she went into the bathroom because she was perspiring and she was really flushed. And I just thought, well, she just worked way too hard here. And I put the tacos out and put them on plates and said, okay, come, come eat. And my mom came into the table. Everybody else was sitting there and she took one bite of her taco and she said, I think I'm a little upset to my stomach. I'm, and so she went to the bathroom and she stayed in there for a long time 
and my dad had started to worry about her, so he went in to see what, and she was just there in the bathroom perspiring, and she had a horrible pain in her chest, and so my dad called me. I went out. I ran down to the bathroom, and we helped her down the hall so she could lay down. She goes, I'll be fine in a minute. It'll go away. I'll be fine, and I told my dad, I said, I think we should call the paramedics. I think she's having a heart attack, and And she goes, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm not having a heart attack. I'm fine. I'm okay. And uh, I waited for another half a minute or so, and I said, I'm sorry, I'm calling the the paramedics. And we live very close to the hospital, so the paramedics were there in like two minutes. And they run some vitals and took her, and on the way to the hospital, she had a major heart attack. And um, my dad and I followed the paramedics to the hospital, and I told my older children to call their father and tell him what was happening. And while I was in the hospital, you know, it's always touching, it's, it's traumatic, but I saw my mom, her heart went down to 30 beats a minute, and I thought she was gonna die, and then they'd give her some adrenaline and bring her back up, and, and that happened two or three times. And while they're trying to get her stable, uh, your father comes into the hospital, and it took about two hours for them to get her stable, and and then they did a few tests and scheduled surgery for the next morning, and your dad stayed with me those two hours. And on the way home, he started to hit me in my arm. He'd reach across. I, I drove home with him and left the car there for my dad. And I drove home, and he started to hit me, and he had hit my arm, and he's saying, don't you think that because your mom had a heart attack, you're going to be up here every day seeing her. We've got taxes to do. I forbid you to go to the hospital until the taxes are done. And here we're in the car, and he's hitting me. You know, every other word, I'm getting a hit in my arm. And then that night, I argued with him. I said, I can get my taxes done, but I want to go see my mother. And he hit me a whole lot more. He, he really beat me quite a bit that day but his beatings were always on the arm and in the chest because he knew that no one would see it and my arm was really bruised and uh, I actually had to tell my dad that Neil was furious and that he told me I had to do taxes and he didn't want me to come up to the hospital and he said that's okay I understand. You go and do the taxes. I'm going to tell your mother, because I'm very, very squeezy when it comes to uh, seeing blood. I pass out when I have my blood taken, and, and I see tubes. And there, it's horrible to see somebody after a, a heart surgery. They got tubes coming out of everywhere. And uh, I said, I'm going to tell her that you're afraid you're going to pass out and get sick if you see her that way. And so that's what he told her. And then I think after she got a little more calm, she put two and two together. But um, I didn't visit my mom while she was in the hospital because of my husband. And that always made me sad. Um, So anyway, she was in the hospital for about two weeks, and my dad stayed there, but he was at the hospital the whole time. And I continued to do taxes. And I don't think those two weeks were too bad because... My parents weren't really at the house, and I was doing everything that Neil wanted. The doctor said he did not want her to travel 
for another four weeks. And so they asked if they could still stay at the house. And so she came to the house and they stayed for four more weeks. And that really, it wasn't an inconvenience to anybody but Neil. I mean, my mom stayed in her bedroom the whole time. Dad took care of her. He helped take care of the kids while I was doing taxes. It wasn't an inconvenience, really, truly, except that Neil didn't like it. And maybe there was some inconvenience, I take that back, because everybody, her sisters and brothers, my aunts and uncles, um, my sisters, all wanted to come see their mother and their aunt and their sister. And so people were coming to the house to visit my mom. And that really made Neil angry, that we were barraged by guests coming to see my mother. But I still didn't feel that that was fair because he's out doing, going to work and then doing taxes in the evening. It's like, how many people do you really see that are coming to visit, you know? But it really inconvenienced him. And so there were a lot of hits to my arm those four weeks. It was four weeks of hell, actually, to try to keep him calm. And one day, while I was talking to my dad, this my sleeve came up a little too... I, I wasn't wearing long sleeve, but pretty, kind of like this T-shirt. And it came, I reached for something, and it came up too high. And my dad pulled up my sleeve and looked at my arm, and he said, did Neil do that? And I lied. I said, oh no, I was carrying the the laundry down the stairs, I slipped and fell a couple of stairs and hit the doorknob. And I don't know if my dad believed it or not, but he, he, I didn't, I should have told him right there what was going on. But my sickness, the sickness of being an abused wife, I couldn't do it. It was almost like I was protecting Neil. I didn't want him to get mad at Neil. And yet, I also was afraid that he might kill Neil. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, so I never told him until later when I was determined to get divorced. Then I told everybody. Your father and I invested in lots of businesses, and the last business we invested in was a travel agency in downtown L.A., and we did our research, and it was doing well, and uh, we needed investors. So we got seven different investors to invest money so that we could buy this travel agency. And we decided to treat them all and take them to the Phantom of the Opera over a weekend and let them, you know, see the Phantom and have an enjoyable time and feel special. And, and so we were on that trip, and... Your father had a really good secretary that helped him do stuff, and she and her boyfriend were staying at our condo in Redondo Beach. We had a two-bedroom condo, and they were staying with us, too. We stayed in our room, and they were in the guest room. Neil had lost his temper with his secretary, and he said, I'm too upset. I'm going to stay over an extra day. I don't want the investors to see me like this. So you just take the secretary and her boyfriend and go to the airport. So I said, okay, and went and talked to the secretary, and the three of us went to the airport. And when we got up to the gate where the other investors were, visited with them for a few minutes while we were waiting for the the plane to come. 
And all of a sudden, I look up and Neil is walking down the terminal. He looked like he was just enraged. And I thought, why is he doing this? He's staying over an extra day. I've already told the investors he's staying over and he's coming down. But he was so angry at me. And he came over and he said he wanted the keys to the car. We had a a car that we left there in the employee parking lot and he wanted the keys to the car and uh, he was shouting and yelling and calling me a effing bitch and all that kind of stuff and this was in front of the investors and and so I kind of moved away a little bit and you know how the big there's the big huge columns in the airport we kind of tried to get behind a column so that I could talk to him a little bit and he said you stupid, stinking, fucking bitch. Give me the fucking keys. And he yelled it at the top of his lungs. And um, I was so shocked that he did that in front of the investors. But I was also very angry and humiliated that he did that in front of the investors. So I threw the keys at him. He stepped backwards so I didn't hit him with the keys. And he picked up the keys and he glared at me. And then he ran off saying, I hate you. I hate you, you bitch. And that was very, very belittling to me. And it was in front of the investors. And one of the investors came over who had sort of known that we were having trouble and that we were fighting, but he had no idea what it was really like. And he says, Sandy, I know you told me that Neil was really mean to you, but I had no idea that it was this bad. And uh, I said, yeah, it's, it's really bad, and I think we're going to be getting a divorce. And then the flight came. When I got, I was, I was humiliated. Everybody was kind and loving to me, and, but when I got on the plane, I was looking out the window, and I'm going to read this from my book because it's just better that I, I think it, I can make sure I say it all. The time for the flight finally came. It seemed like an eternity had passed. When I sat down in the seat of the plane, I looked out the window and started crying. I thought to myself, why did he do this? If he does this in public, what will he do in private? Is he going to kill me? The pressure cooker is about to blow. The pressures inside boil with fear and fury. Why did this happen? Why did I allow it? Who am I? Questions. Oh, the questions boil internally. I look for the answers. I search deep into my soul to find that I hardly have a soul. Its mere existence hangs by a tiny single thread of love. Immersed inside, I have one molecule of self-love. It waits to be blotted out like all the others. Did he do this? Did I do it? I gave him the power to destroy me and he took it gladly. Is this my fault or is it? I'm not sure. I'm not sure of anything anymore. If I leave, I'll go to hell. Can I, hell be any worse than what I'm living? 
Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. If this is a sin, then sin it be. Help me, dear Father. Guide me to safety. Give me the power to live. Please let me be me. Help me fly away. Help me be free. Over the years, I learned to swallow my hopes and dreams, allowing his dreams to control me. But now my dreams come to me and ask why. How did you become the terrorized creature with no self-esteem? Where is Sandy, the Sandy I knew before? A pitiful, small, soft voice cries. I'm here. Don't give up on me. I'm here. You tried to kill me. You cut away at my being, slice by slice. If you allow it, I will die. Only a few more moments of time exists. Fight. Say stop. I'm not going to take it anymore. I have had it. Now begins the war. I smile. Somehow buried in guilt, shame, regret, and fat. My minuscule voice reaches out for freedom. I know I will win the war. Sandra Marie, the crescendo, the war, the pressure cooker blows, Sandra makes the most difficult decision of her life, and in the rumble, the four children. Stay tuned. <laughs>